You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Let's bow together in prayer before we begin. Our gracious God, we have sung to you the, the praises and the sentiments of, of our heart that you are worthy of all of our praise and all of the adoration that we could give. And if we had a thousand tongues to sing your praise, even that would be inadequate. But far more important than that is what you have to say to us in your word. So we pray that you would give us ears that are quick to hear and hearts that are quick to respond in obedience. Cast our vision upon Christ this morning and may we leave here with an increased understanding of our dependence upon Him for everything that we have. For in You we live and move and have our being. And may we be aware of that today. Send Your Spirit to be our teacher and our comforter and our guide this morning. And we pray that You would be glorified through the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Uh, sometimes maintaining a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in, the, in, in, in a deepening in more intimate relationship with Him can be hard work. And I mean hard work not in the sense of of physical labor, but in the sense of it requiring effort and intentionality and purpose and direction and aim and focus and spiritual disciplines. Those can be hard work. Um, and those are the things that we do in employing those spiritual disciplines which take effort and take discipline. Those things are what grows us in our understanding of truth and in our relationship with the Lord. And those things can require some effort. Um, and Scripture is full of, of passages and statements regarding the effort that we are to put forth in growing in our faith and in growing in grace and applying the means of grace and disciplining ourselves. And I'll just give you a list of ones that in preparing for this came to the top of my mind without too much effort at all. From 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Be nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine that you have been following. Labor and strive, Paul told Timothy, after these things. Fix your hope on the living God. In love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4. He also tells us that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. That's Ephesians chapter 4. We are to put off the old man and to put on the new man, to fix our mind on things above, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
We are to pray without ceasing, to put sin to death, to pursue sanctification without which no one will see the Lord, to think on things that are pure and lovely and right and of good reputation. We are to serve one another in love, to stir up our spiritual gift that is in us, to use our gift in serving one another, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift us up, to resist the devil so that he will flee from us. That's just a quick list of things that just kind of popped into my mind as I was jotting them down. Employing any or all of those as a means of, of growing in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord can require a lot of effort. It can be taxing, especially given the fact that we are shackled to these unredeemed bodies that we are in. Our, my old man has been crucified with Christ. It is dead. My old identity in Christ, that is gone. I am a new creation in Christ in every way. But this new creation in Christ is shackled to this dead corpse that I have to haul around with me everywhere I go. And that slows me down considerably. Back when I was in gym class in, in, uh, in uh, high school, they had this exercise they would do with the elastics. Have you ever seen those where you put a rubber tube around your waist or over your neck and underneath your arms? And you had a partner who would who would grab onto the tubes behind you and he would kind of pull and give you resistance and slow you down. You'd run to one end of the basketball court and then back and you would do this until you were about ready to throw up or pass out one of the two and this was supposed to get you into shape. Well, the purpose of that was to add resistance to the conditioning. And so we had to do this in gym class and I never enjoyed it, but I always enjoyed the, the fruits of it, the labor of it. Well, living with the flesh is kind of like dragging my buddy around with those elastics. It, it adds resistance. It's not impossible to make the trek but it sure adds resistance and it slows me down. That's what it's like living in these bodies of unredeemed flesh. So we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We try and show ourselves to be examples. We want our minds to be transformed. We try to serve one another, stir up the spiritual gift that is in us, try to serve the Lord and to pray and to evangelize and to strive and labor after these things. But the truth is we are strapped to these unredeemed bodies of flesh. And the flesh is that dead weight that just drags with us and pulls and gives us resistance against the disciplines of trying to grow in our relationship with the Lord. So maintaining a relationship with the Lord can be very difficult and hard work. Staying in Christ, that is staying saved, is not hard work at all. Like that's the easiest thing in the world because I have nothing to do with it whatsoever. See, I'm secure in my relationship with Jesus Christ, not because of any effort that I put forth, not because of any discipline that I employ, but simply by nature of the relationship that exists between me as an abiding branch or remaining a continuing branch and the vine who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that relationship is there and it continues and it will always be there. And it, it abides. And, and there's no effort in me that makes me to stay in Christ or to say, stay saved. I didn't get saved by anything that I have done and I'm not going to stay saved by anything that I have done. I cannot. I can do nothing. I can do nothing to put myself in Christ and I can do nothing to get myself out of Christ. The righteousness that we have as believers is a perfect, imperishable, and untainted righteousness. And it will be so forever. And there is nothing that I can do to taint that righteousness because the righteousness that I have before God is not my righteousness to taint. I, I didn't acquire that righteousness by anything that I have done. And I don't maintain that righteousness by anything that I do. Nor do I work at abiding and staying with Christ. It's not my effort that keeps me there. I am secure because of what the shepherd has done, not because of what I, as one of his sheep, do. So all of the disciplines of grace, disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness and praying and seeking after him and striving after that intimate relationship with the Lord, all of that is the fruit of a relationship that I have that is secure. Do you understand the difference between maintaining a relationship and maintaining a sense of intimacy and having a relationship that continues and is there no matter what. 
You might liken it to your relationship with your spouse. You have that relationship with your spouse. Look, you, you, you are, you are in that relationship. Like it or not, better for worse, good or bad, death, till death do you part. That is the relationship. It exists and it is there and death will sever that. But in the meantime, you can drift apart through things that you do. And it is the same in our relationship with the Lord. I don't strive and work to abide and to continue in Him. I strive and work and labor and try to seek a deepening relationship with Him because I am abiding and remaining in Him. And my abiding and remaining in Him is something that He does. It is His work of maintaining that relationship that I strive I strive in the relationship to grow in intimacy, not to stay connected. I am connected. And that, that can never, ever be separated. And so we, we have to rest in that, that it can never be severed, it can never be separated, though I can drift apart in my in my relationship with the Lord, but only in the sense in the terms of my familiarity and my intimacy, but never in terms of my eternal destiny. And it is that abiding that Jesus is speaking of in that oft-repeated word, or sorry, is that remaining that Jesus is speaking of in that oft-repeated word abiding in John chapter 15. We just read it in between verses 4 through 11. The word abiding occurs 10 times. And we talked about what that is. There is at the beginning of verse 4 something that is could be understood either as a command or as a promise. It is a promise in this sense, that in verse 2 and 3, Jesus told the disciples that the faithful branches will remain. They will continue. The Father will prune them so that they may bear more fruit. Fruitfulness is the end goal of the Father, the vine dresser's work. But then there are branches that are not fruitful. They're not really connected to the vine in a saving, in a, in a, in a life-giving or fruit-bearing manner. And those fruitless branches are cut off, like the Judas branches. Unfaithful, unfruitful, not really connected in a life-giving, fruit-bearing way to the vine. They are cut off for the health of the vine and for the health of the fruit-bearing branches. But, Jesus said to the disciples, you are already clean, pruned, because of the word which I have spoken to you. You remain. Judas has been cut off. You remain. And not only do you remain in me, but I remain in you. And that word remain, abide, describes a continuing, perpetual, permanent, lasting, abiding, enduring relationship. That's what he's describing. He's not describing some mystical work that we do by which we make ourselves fruitful. Abiding is not me working and striving. And some people say that. Some people say that the abiding is you have to pray, you have to read God's Word, you have to stay faithful, you have to remain close, you have to fast, you have to use your spiritual gift. You have to serve the Lord. You have to love the Lord. You have to mortify sin. You have to put it to death. You have to strive after sanctification, pursue holiness. Whew, are you exhausted yet? And if you do all of that, then you can maintain your fruitfulness. Wow, where's the joy in that? That's not joyful. But that's not what the word abiding means. Abiding is not, is not the activity that I do to maintain fruitfulness. Abiding is the re- describes the reality of the relationship that I enjoy. Those other things come out of my abiding relationship. They are the fruits of that abiding relationship. And, and in doing that, I produce the fruit and I maintain my relationship and I grow in intimacy and I become more and more fruitful as a result of the abiding, which describes the lasting, enduring, maintaining, and remaining relationship that we have with the Savior. We can never be cut off. Those who are the fruitful branches cannot be cut off. They will not be severed. That's the promise of the, of the analogy. Those who are the fruitless branches, they are cut off because they're never connected to the vine in a saving way at all. And so like Judas, they are cut off for the health of the vine and for the health of the branches. So we didn't get very far into verse 4 last week. I would apologize for that, but I will save all the apologies for the end because we're not going to get very far into verse 4 and 5 this week either. We just We just determined what the word abiding means, to remain. And here's the promise and the command. 
You abide in the Savior. If you are in Him, you are connected to Him. You abide in Him. You remain in Him. You're not cut off. Cut off. You'll be pruned, but you're not going to be cut off. And He remains and continues and abides in us. Uh, the people who say that the abiding is the work that we do to maintain fruitfulness, they run into a problem. Number one, that's not what the word meno, translated abide, means anywhere that it's used, anywhere in the New Testament or in the Old Testament translation of the Hebrew. That's not what the word means. But second of all, when in the second half of verse 4, Jesus says, I abide in you, does that definition fit the word of abiding there? Does Jesus have to do all those things to maintain his relationship with us? He doesn't. He's just describing there an enduring state that cannot be threatened by anything. We are secure in him. So today we're going to look at the, the reality that the abiding branches can do nothing apart from the vine. We can do absolutely nothing apart from the vine. So look again at verse 4. We're going to be focusing on, focusing on verse 4 and verse 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So let's begin with the agricultural analogy that that Jesus is using. Let's put it in terms of of a vine and a branch in a garden. This is the reality, and all of us understand this, that once you sever a branch from the vine, that branch loses not only its life, but also its fruit bearing ability immediately. Once sever the branch from the vine and it is dead. It's just a matter of time before it manifests that deadness. Now you can cut it off and hold it up and it'll still be green. It doesn't wither right away. It doesn't dry up right away. The fruit doesn't fall off right away. But once it is severed, it is dead. It no longer has any life in it and it no longer has any fruit bearing ability in it. And we understand this in terms of our a garden and a vine and the things that we are familiar with that once the branch is severed, it's dead. It's over. It's gone. It doesn't matter how how healthy that branch was when it was severed from the vine. It can be the, the healthiest branch on the vine. doesn't matter. Once it's severed, it's gone. It doesn't matter how big and how thick and how woody and how, how virulent that branch is. When it is severed from the vine, it's dead. Nor does it matter how close that branch remains to the vine after it is severed. Once you sever it, it is dead. You can sever it and a vine dresser doesn't need to take the severed branch all the way to the other side of the vineyard to let it shrivel up and die. The vine dresser can let the branch drop right at the base of the vine and it's still a dead branch. doesn't matter how close it is to the vine. You can take the, the branch and you can put it an eighth of an inch away from that vine. It doesn't matter how close it is. If it is not vitally connected to that vine in a life-giving, fruit-bearing way, it cannot live. It will shrivel up and it will die. And there's a spiritual parallel and an analogy there. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can grow up in a Christian church. You can hear good preaching your entire life. You can you can follow Christian things and be baptized and live a Christian life, quote-unquote, for 50 years. It doesn't matter how close you are to that vine if you are not vitally connected to that vine and you do not have the life of the vine abiding in you, you are dead. So in terms of the analogy, once a branch is severed, once a branch is is cut off from the vine, it is dead. Now, you as a believer... Will you be cut off? Can you be cut off? Can those who are vitally connected to the vine, who have the life of the vine in them, the fruit-bearing sap of the vine coursing through them, can they be cut off and will they be cut off? What is the promise of the analogy? No, you will be pruned. You will not be cut off. We are pruned. We are cleaned. We are cut back. We are made more fruitful, but we are never, like Judas, cut off from the vine. We are never severed and left to dry up and be burned in the flames. That's the promise of the analogy. We will be pruned, but we will never be severed and lose our life. So we abide and we remain in Him, and that remaining and abiding is itself the vital connection 
that we have with the vine by which His life is in us. And if His life is in us, here is His promise, that will never cease to be because we can never be cut off. From Fruitful branches are not cut off. Fruitless branches are cut off. But they're not branches who have the life of the vine in them. Here's Jesus' promise concerning those who will not be cut off. John 6, 37. We covered this. And I'll just read you the passage. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I will certainly not cast out. That's His promise. Now, Jesus is not going to cast out fruitful branches, those who have come to Him and received life. Why would the Father do that? The vine dresser is not going to do that. The purpose and intention of the Father and the Son in salvation are identical. They are one purpose and one intention. I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me, that is the Father, that of all that He has given to me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. This is the Father's will, that all who behold and believe in the Son will have eternal life, and all of them will be raised up on the last day. So how many fruitful branches who have eternal life are going to be cut off and cast into the flames? None, according to Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all those things we are overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loves us, loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are dependent upon the vine, not only for life, but also for fruitfulness. Once the vine is severed, the life ceases. And this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If the life is there, not there, then certainly the fruitfulness cannot be there. Because dead branches, dried up branches, do not produce fruit. Not just as a general rule, as a law of nature. Dead branches do not produce fruit. And so if we are once severed from the vine, we lose not only life, but we lose fruitfulness. And the promise is that will never happen because the Father has promised that He won't sever us from the vine. He will prune us so that we become more fruitful. So we are dependent upon the vine not only for life, but also for fruit. And here's the spiritual parallel at the end of verse 4. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. That's the spiritual parallel. Neither can we, as branches, bear fruit or remain alive unless we abide in him. Now, will we abide in him? We have to because that's what abiding means, to remain. Will we continue in him? Is my life, in Paul's words in Colossians 3 verse 3, hidden with Christ in God? It is. And so I will abide because I have the life of the vine in me. And by virtue of that vital connection in that life, I can never be severed. And that life will never come to an end. It is an eternal life. And I can rest in that. And I am secure in that. And just as the fruit can, or the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And I will abide in him because that's the nature of my relationship. And so I continue to abide in him and remain in him. And so I will be fruitful. Now, there are two principles that we can draw from this. Number one, and this is, this is careful, you need to carefully listen to this because there's some misconceptions around this. Number one, all who are in the vine produce fruit. All who are in the vine produce fruit. There is no, there are only two classifications of people according to this analogy. Only two classifications. There are the fruitless branches who are not connected to the vine. They don't have the life of the vine in them. They are taken away. They're cut off. 
They shrivel up, they die, they dry up, they're burned. Those are the fruitless branches. Then there are the fruitful branches. Who are the fruitful branches? Those are the ones who remain connected to the vine. Those are the ones who actually have the life of the vine in them. There is no such thing as a branch that is vitally connected to the vine that does not, that has the life of the vine in it, has eternal life, but does not produce any fruit. In the life of every Christian, there will be some fruit. It might be just a little bit, but there will be some fruit. Every Christian will produce fruit. When the Spirit of God does the work of turning somebody from their sin to the living God, and that person repents of their sin because the Spirit of God turns them away from their sin to the living God and gives them the gift of genuine faith, and the life of the vine is in that branch in the form of eternal life, that Christian will produce fruit. Even the, even the gift of repentance itself is fruit of regeneration. Just having a new life, a change of heart, new affections, to suggest that somebody who is regenerated has new life, new affections, is in that vine, connected to that vine, and has the life of the vine flowing in them, but that there is no evidence of that whatsoever in their life, no fruit of it whatsoever, that is a fiction. That does not happen and it cannot happen. The minute the life of the vine is in the branch, there's fruit. There has to be because that's the nature of the life that is in the vine. The life that goes into the branches must produce some fruit. Does that mean that every Christian, a day after they're converted, is going to be out and producing tremendous amounts of fruit and be really fruitful? That doesn't mean that. Every Christian will produce fruit, but not every Christian's fruit will be equal. And this is the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Remember Saul of Tarsus? What's the first thing he did after he got saved? He was baptized. He went into the synagogue and began proclaiming that this Jesus is the Christ. And he tried to preach and to defend and, uh, and offer defense of the faith that he once tried to destroy. That was what he had to do. The very first thing he did after he got saved was to go out and, and a, a complete 180 and do the opposite of what he had been trying to do. He had been trying to destroy the faith and now he had to evangelize. Remember Lydia? After the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul, what did she do? She opened her home to those missionaries and provided for Paul and for his companions while they were in Philippi. What did Cornelius do after Peter uh, preached the gospel to him Cornelius was saved? He invited Peter and those other Jews to stay with him for a few days, and they did, and he provided sustenance for them. Do you remember what the Ethiopian eunuch did after he got saved? He said, what prohibits me from being baptized? He had to obey the Lord in baptism even that very day as they were passing water. That's the pattern of the New Testament. Somebody gets saved, and there's some evidence, there's some fruitfulness there. Every branch that is connected to the vine, that has the life of the vine in them, Every Christian will produce fruit. Some a lot, some a little, but every Christian will produce fruit. And then the vine dresser goes to work in pruning that branch, pruning that branch, and training that branch so that it becomes more and more fruitful over time. Now there's a corollary truth to this. Not only does every Christian produce some fruit, but on the flip side of that, it is impossible for anybody who is outside of Christ to produce genuine spiritual fruit. Apart from me, him, we can do nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. A branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. So the fruitless branches, the fact that they are fruitless is evidence that they are not connected to the vine. They can't produce fruit because they're not connected to the vine. So whereas every Christian will produce some fruit, some a little, some a lot, it is also true that those who are not Christians, who are not in Christ and not connected to that vine, can produce no fruit. They don't produce a little bit of fruit. They don't produce less fruit. They produce no fruit. And you say, but I know Christian or non-Christians who are really generous and they're kind and they're great co-workers and they're very gracious and they're hospitable 
And they're fun to be around. And they do nice things. And they work at the soup kitchen. All of those things are true. But those works and those deeds are not what we would consider genuine spiritual fruit because they are not produced by the vine. They are not produced by the life of the vine. They are tainted with sin and by sin from the very beginning, from the get-go, because they come from sinful men with sinful motives and everything that they do is sinful. It's rotten fruit before it ever gets picked. It's rotten before it ever gets picked because it's not genuine fruit. It's not true spiritual fruit. And listen, never forget that an unconverted person can produce imitation fruit, counterfeit fruit. looks very much like the original. They can produce that. But no true Christian can produce no fruit. An unbeliever can produce imitation fruit, but a true Christian cannot produce no fruit. Does that make sense? Cannot produce no fruit? Yeah, a true Christian cannot produce no fruit. They have to produce some fruit. So every Christian produces some fruit, and those who are not Christians can produce no true spiritual fruit, though they can fabricate imitation fruit for a period of time. So verse 5 describes, again, the very same thing in the same words, but this time more clearly and more forcefully. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, or remains in me, and I remain in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Why don't you notice the progression? Verse 2 speaks of the branches that bear fruit. Then verse 2 says that the vine dresser prunes them so that they bear more fruit. And now in verse 5, we have much fruit. There's a progression of fruitfulness, isn't there? There's fruit, there's more fruit, and then there's much fruit. And this is the goal of the vine dresser. Everything that the Father does in your life is intended to move you toward and to grow you in fruitfulness so that over the course of your life you have increasing fruitfulness. This is the opposite of imitation branches, dead branches who, who fabricate counterfeit fruit. They come out of the gate and produce all kinds of fruit. Have you known these people? They get saved one night and the next day they're out street preaching. And they're street preaching and they're writing and they're preaching and they're serving and they're doing this and they're excited and evangelizing everybody and sharing everything, give all their possessions to the poor. And then after 10 years or so, it's, it's, it's winded down to the point where they're not doing anything. They're sitting in the back row hardly doing anything. Nothing gets you people, folks who are in the back row. It wasn't, it wasn't aimed at you. But they're, they're sitting in the, in, in the wings of the church, not doing anything for the Lord. And after a period of time, you don't see them at all. So the imitation branches, those who get excited for a period of time and dry up, and dry off and fall away, they're, they look really fruitful for a period of time. And then it dwindles. And then there are folks like me. Who the very first, I mean, I hope I'm growing in fruitfulness for the Lord, but my very first few days as a Christian was the only fruit that I, I produced was just weeping. That's all I could do was cry. And all I could do was be excited, and, and that's all I did. And I, did, I, didn't, I didn't go out and start preach, street preaching the next day. I didn't get up and, and preach a sermon that following Sunday. I didn't do anything like that. My fruit from my Christian life started off very small, very... Very few, very small fruit, just little tiny grapes is all I had, and, and probably nobody could have seen it. But over the course of time, as people discipled me, and I learned, and I grew, and I, I sought the Lord, and the work of grace in, in my life, God has increased that fruitfulness. At least I hope He has. It would be my sense of it, that I continue to grow in that. And hopefully, over the course of your life, that continues to be the same until you get old. And I understand that when you're 80 and 85 years old, that you're not out street preaching anymore, and preaching three sermons a week, etc., but... The, proje- the trajectory of your life should be increasing fruitfulness for the Lord the older you get. And then maybe that fruitfulness when you're 85 and 90 years old is not the things that you do. It's not the things that are visible, but it is an increase in piety and righteousness and humility and maturity and wisdom. Those are fruits of righteousness. Those are the fruits of righteousness that hang on the gray-haired people in our midst. And those fruits are, are greater 
are greater in quality and greater in value than the flashy things that we see us young folks do. But the trajectory is increased fruitfulness over the course of your life. That, that is the goal of the vine dresser. That is the goal of everything that he does in producing fruit in us. And, and hopefully there will be fruits in your life and in my life 10 years from now that are not there today. Because he wants to produce not just increased amount of fruit, but an increased variety of fruit as well. So Jesus describes the, the total inability. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. That describes the total and complete inability of this branch and every branch in this room to produce any kind of fruit, anything of lasting value for eternity, the complete inability that we as branches have apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that we could extrapolate from this a whole sermon about the complete inability of unbelievers to do anything pleasing to the Lord, including repent and believe and do anything worthy of God's grace or anything worthy of God's favor. But this verse is spoken to Christians about Christians. Now, if it is true that I as a Christian can do nothing apart from Christ, then it is certainly more true and equally true that I as an unbeliever could do nothing apart from Christ, including turn to Him and change my heart and my affections or make any kind of decision or do anything worthy of His favor and His grace. But let's just look at it in terms of us as believers, that it is true of us that we can do absolutely nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind who this was spoken to. Who is the original audience? The apostles, the disciples, those 11 men. Now, if it is true of them, how much more is it true of you? I hate to put you on a lower plane than the apostles, but I will put myself there, so you're welcome to join me if you would like. If it is true of them, how much more is it true of us? These men had been handpicked by Jesus himself. They had spent three years with the best mentor that anybody could ever hope to have, the best teacher that the world has ever seen. They saw miracles. They heard him argue with the Pharisees and confound them. They heard him articulate and teach concerning the kingdom of God for three years. They had hands-on training at the feet of the greatest master ever. Some of these men had seen him transfigured and saw a glimpse of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. One of these men, Peter, had walked on water. Of all men born on the face of the planet in the history of humanity, you would think that these 11 men would at least be somewhat self-sufficient. Wouldn't you think that? I would think that. But Jesus is saying to these 11 men, without me you can do nothing. Now if that is true of them, how much more is it true of us? And it is true of us. That apart from Him, we can do absolutely nothing. Now I would describe to you what nothing is, but that would require me listing everything. Because then I would have to say, well, you can't do this. And then I'd have to list all of the things. And to describe nothing, I would have to list everything. So let's just keep it this. It's absolutely comprehensive. I cannot turn from my sin apart from His grace. I can't believe. And here I go listing things. I can't believe. I can't serve Him. I can't pray. I can't evangelize. I can't lead a single person to the Lord. And I am convinced that this truth needs to be burrowed down deep into the heart of American evangelicalism and the American church. That apart from Christ, we can do absolutely nothing. Because the church at large in our nation doesn't believe this. You can tell they don't believe this. Watch the rock stars of American Christianity. And you know what you'll see? A complete self-sufficiency and self-aggrandizement. Men who make much of themselves, much of their ministries, much of their methods. Because in America, we have in the church an American mindset. We're Americans. We can do anything. This is what we're trained to believe, right? That as Americans, we can do anything. There's no problem we can't solve. 
There's no hurdle we can't cross. There's nothing we can't overcome. This is America. We are Americans. We had a revolution that proved that we can do anything. And that mindset begins to creep into American Christian thinking. And I've just described to you every campaign for office for the last hundred years. That we're Americans and we can do anything. And let's throw God into the caboose and hopefully enough evangelicals to jump on for the ride to the White House. This is the thinking. But it is completely polar opposite of what the truth is. We can do absolutely nothing. And we aren't able to do something just because we tag God onto it. The church needs to understand without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. Because the church has bought into the lie that we can lead anybody to Jesus Christ as long as we use the right method or have the right methodology. We have bought the lie that we can advance the gospel and get people saved and accomplish the purposes of God if we reinvent ourselves, if we reinvent ministry, if we come up with a new method, a new paradigm. All those things are is the expression of a an attitude that says, apart from Him, I can do all kinds of things. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can do a few things. But see, if He had said that, then that would leave it open for me to do a few things. And maybe there's just the big things that I need Him for. But all the little stuff I can take care of myself. I'll just I'll sort of tap into Him for the, the big things, the, the monumental things. But Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can do a few things well. Because that would imply that there are things that I can do that I just need Him to make them more excellent. And this is the, this is the mindset of the modern church. You'd be a better you, you can have better things and do better things, do better ministry. Just you need God in the midst, you need the right formula. But Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can do a few things. He didn't say, apart from me, you can do some things well. Or no, you can't do anything well, but apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. And this is the truth that not only do I think that American evangelicalism needs to have hammered deep into their consciousness, but it's also a truth that I think us as individuals need to have hammered deep into our consciousness too. There's plenty to rant about when it comes to modern churches, modern church movement. But the real question is, do I believe this? That apart from Him, I can do absolutely nothing. Nothing of lasting value. Nothing of significance. Nothing of spiritual importance. Nothing at all. I want to grow as a Christian in my dependence. I don't want to grow independence. I want to grow in dependence upon Him. See, that's even that would even be the wrong way of saying it because I'm already dependent on Him, right? I can't grow any more dependent because it's not like I, I want to grow to the point where I can do nothing. I already can't do anything. So I guess it would be better to say this. I want to grow in my understanding of this dependence so that I glory in it. Isn't that what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12? To glory in his weakness? To glory in His inability? We're taught to glory in the opposite. To glory in all the things that we can do. But the Bible says we ought to glory in our weakness. Because then the power of Christ is manifested in us. So I want want us and you and me, I, want to grow in my awareness of that dependence. So that every time I sit down to read, every time I sit down to prepare a message, to prepare a lesson, to do anything, that I am aware that in Him I live and move and have my being. And without Him working through me, and His life producing something in me, all I can produce is man-made fruit, which is imitation fruit. But nothing of lasting significance. Without Him, I can do absolutely nothing. That's the struggle, isn't it? As Christians? How many of you thank God this morning when you woke up that you woke up? Anybody? Pat? (laughs) Yeah, after this last week, I bet you did. Thank God that you woke up this morning. But even waking up, I can't do that without Him. And so there's nothing of significance that I can do without Him. I can't preach a message. I can't prepare a message. Every act of service, everything is dependent upon Him. 
But I, I, I'm not as aware of that as I need to be, and I'm not as aware of that as I want to be. So I want to grow in my dependence, my acknowledgement of my dependence upon him in everything. Because sometimes we can get into a groove of thinking that I got this one. I can, ta- I can tackle this. I'll go witness to that guy. I got this wrapped up. I've done this a thousand times. And really without him, we can't even do the first part of it. So if we want to be fruitful, and that's the first thing, which is a beginning point, we glory in our weakness. I can do nothing. And if it is the vine that produces all fruitfulness in us, then it is also true that the vine receives all glory for any fruit we bear. Isn't that right? And this is something we need to remember when you acknowledge growth in somebody's life or something that somebody does. All we're doing is acknowledging what the vine has produced in the branch. We can't, you can't give glory to a branch because you cut the branch off and what does it do? Does it produce any fruit? Does it have any life? No. It has nothing. Apart from the vine, it can do absolutely nothing. So if apart from the vine, the branch can do absolutely nothing, then anything that happens in the branch is the result of the vine working in it and the life of the vine in it. And so the glory goes to the vine, the one who has produced the fruit to begin with. So anything that you see in my life or anything I see in your life, ultimately the glory for that goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and we confess that our adequacy comes from Him. And having this truth, our complete dependence and our complete inadequacy and glorying in our weakness, having that nailed down deep into our souls will produce three things. It will produce, first of all, in humility. A humility. Let us never, ever, 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 ever tell an unbeliever that they can do anything to please God. Ever. They can do nothing. Even even their repentance, even their understanding of the truth, even their grasping of the light, God says, is a gift from Him. Unbelievers can do absolutely nothing apart from Him. And let us never, ever tell a Christian, you got this, you can do this. Let us never, ever convince anybody of their adequacy in anything apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This will produce humility. Understanding this truth that we are weak and that we can do nothing, it brings men low. That's why it's so unpalatable. It brings men low. We like to be told in our culture that we can do anything and that we can conquer any challenge, that we can climb any mountain, that we can overcome any hurdle. And the opposite is true. We are weak and we are nothing and we have to glory in that weakness. And understanding that humbles us, doesn't it? I mean, I hope that all of us would just feel that we have been stripped of all self-confidence because all that self-confidence and self-reliance is nothing more than pride. At the heart, it's pride. And to tell people that they could do things and to give them a pep talk like that is to do nothing but to pamper and to pet their pride and to feed their self-reliance, which is the opposite of what we should have as evident in our life. So it will produce humility. Second, I believe it will also produce a motivation to service. You see, if if you honestly believe that apart from Him you can do nothing, you will not despair. You're not going to say, well, then I'm not going to try. Because the other side of that coin is, if without Him I can do nothing, then with Him I can do anything. That's right. If without me, without Him I can do nothing, with Him I can do anything. That doesn't mean that with Him I can do anything, but it means, as Charles Spurgeon says, that in the life of a Christian dwells omnipotence. So I can do anything He has called me to, anything He has gifted me for, anything He has put in my path. I can overcome anything if it is His will working through me. It's not Jim Osmond that accomplishes it ultimately, but it is the omnipotence of the vine dwelling in the branches that accomplishes it. So apart from Him, I can do nothing, but with Him, I can do anything that He calls me to and gifts me to and puts in front of me to do. Anything He asks me to do, I can do. And so that's a motivation to service. So it will produce not only humility, and motivation, but third, I think, security. This is important, security. Apart from Him, I can do absolutely nothing. 
We need to have this drilled down deep into our souls so that we are convinced that I cannot believe enough, I cannot repent enough, I cannot serve enough, I cannot love enough, I cannot do anything enough to please Him. Because if I can do absolutely nothing, then everything concerning me and my salvation, my sanctification, and my security as a believer, everything concerning me ultimately resides with Him. If I can do nothing, then everything concerning me is in His hands. And that's a good place to be. And that breeds within us. That creates within us a sense of security. We are insecure when we believe that we can't do enough. And we believe that we can't do enough when we first believe that we can do anything or something. See, when I, when I start to think that, oh, there's something that I can do apart from Him, then instantly the question in our minds has to be, have I done enough? We need to despair of enough. We need to despair of ever thinking that we can do enough. I am secure when I am resting in Him and realizing everything concerning me is in His hands. Then I'm secure. Secure in my salvation. I never question whether I've done enough because I don't believe I can do anything. So it all rests with Him. Our salvation, our sanctification, and our security, it is all in His hands. Let this truth be, be drilled deep into our hearts. Without me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we are thankful to You for the, for the blessing of our inability and our weakness. It is a blessing because it means that all glory goes to You for anything that happens in our lives. We cannot take credit for any of our salvation and certainly none of our sanctification and nor any of our security. We rest in Christ because of what He has done. And may it be our joy to do so. May it be our joy to glory in that weakness and in that inability so that the power of Christ might be manifest in us. So we thank You that You have made us weak and now we pray that You would make us aware of that weakness and remind us constantly of it, that we may rest in You and in Your grace for all spiritual blessings as well as all progress in our sanctification. May we labor and strive because of the power of Him who works in us and pursue holiness because You have put it in our heart to do so. May these fruits be abundant on us and in our lives as an evidence of the abiding life that is in us. Produce in us fruit, we pray, that You would prune us and make us more like Christ, conform us to His image, that we may glorify You in modeling and reflecting the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. May people see that in us and no self-confidence, no self-reliance, and no selfishness. May it all be Christ and Him alone. For we give You thanks in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.